Hello everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the Redemption Tempe podcast where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Um, Warren Williams, today I'm joined by ministry intern AC. AC, say hello to the people. What's good, what's good? Yeah, yeah, so, um, you know, we're just trudging along here in the True Story Project. If you've been um, with us, um, you know, we're about to enter into the book of Daniel. And, uh, you know, this book kind of lends itself to a lot of, I would say, uh, misconceptions. Um, arguments. Yeah, arguments, debates, debates uh, end time uh, debates, and you know, how, how do we uh, interpret prophecy? So I'm really excited to dig into this one today. And uh, I think just by starting off, AC, um, can you just kind of like place us where we are within the story? Yeah, so, so Daniel, is talking at the time when um, the people of Israel have been in the land and they have failed their calling mm. to be a light to the nations. Right. And so God has removed them from the land. And so actually what the Babylonians would do, their policy was they would take like the best and brightest. Right. And they right. would ship them off to Babylon, brainwash them with their propaganda. Right. Um, you know, they have, we have archaeology discoveries that show like how the Babylonians did education. And like, for example, if you were learning the language and how to write, they would have you writing and copying their religious texts. So even as you're learning the language, their idolatry is being like put into yeah, you. Yeah. You know? And that's and so like in Daniel one, that's the situation Daniel finds himself right. in. You know, he's one of these young, bright royal family dudes and he's getting you know brainwashed and, and putting all this propaganda and trained how to be a civil servant how to serve in the government of babylon and so the people there's debates on when daniel was written so who's the exact audience mm. but by and large in general no matter what you believe on the date of the writing of daniel you're talking about a people who have nothing but a history of being in a land. Yeah. So these people were born in exile. Right. And they don't know what it's like to have a land. They they hear the stories and they hear about their great great grandparents right. and all these things that God used to do it, but they're thinking, what's God doing now? Because all I know now is that we're under an oppressive government. We're right. second class citizens. Uh, when we're suffering, is God done with us? Is the Babylonian God better than our God? Right. Right. And I think it's so interesting. Like you look at a lot of how these. Uh, I guess different groups who at different points had uh, held the people of Israel captive in one way or the other, and the different tactics they they used. Mm-hmm. You, like you said, like in the Babylonian, uh, uh, their tool of conquering land is they're taking the best and brightest out. You know, the best minds out. And Daniel finds himself in this place. You know, he's one of, you know, the best and the brightest, and he's being, like you said, just indoctrinated with their idolatry, with all their teaching, and it's like, you know, it's it's really. Uh, uh, I guess a word for us too, like as we live in a you know a land at, or in a world or in a country plagued with idolatry, like how do we live as a light mm. in that? And mm-hmm. you know you see Daniel do that so well. Yeah. So uh, you know Daniel is he's known as one of the post-exile prophets. So can you kind of explain like what does that mean uh, post-exile and how do those prophets fit into the true story? Yeah. So like post-exile, you're talking about after the exile. Like we said, this is the generation of Israelites who are asking the question, is God done with us? Why are we suffering? Mm. You know, we read, you know, they had Jeremiah, right. Ezekiel, Isaiah. These guys tell them, hey man, God's not finished. God's gonna do amazing things. 
but they're that's not what their present experience yeah, is telling them. Yeah, and so you exactly. have people like Daniel and other post-exile prophets being like, "All right, now look, um, God's not finished with us. God is still going to do a work, and because He's still going, He's still in control now, and He's doing work in the future, and He's guiding all of human history. Be faithful now. Wow, you're you're still the light to the world. You're still um, you're still the chosen people, chosen for a purpose to reach the nations. It's just that." Now instead of having your own land and you know being in power, now you're a second class subjugated people. Right. You know, so the the context is different, but the calling is the same. Yeah, I mean, it's I think it's it's so easy for us in our uh, you know 21st century eyes to just look back and say, oh, like you know Daniel, he was he was such a good guy. But you got to think of just the weight of the culture that's mm. on him and the uh, uh, just the amount of uh, pressure and uh, influence there to just turn away. Yeah. You know, in, a, in a different land and you know face with like you know you, you're being told there's hope you're being told there's hope but then like all you see around you is oppression and yeah. hardship you know and, yeah. and it's it's just kind of uh i think helpful for us to take off our 21st century glasses and just kind of put ourselves in that position and yeah. kind of think like you know how how do how would we respond you know feel what yeah how feeling. do we feel that you know so um you know just kind of looking at the the book of Daniel. What do you think is the general message of the book? I think what what Daniel is doing. There's some stories in there. There's dreams. There's visions. Yeah. All of them emphasize that God is in complete control of human history. Mm. That even though it doesn't look that way, it doesn't feel that way. Right. It is that way, and Daniel's pointing forward to the coming of the kingdom. Um, through we're going to see in Daniel seven, like. The son, the divine son of man. Right. You know. So, it's heavy. It's yeah, heavy. it's very heavy. It's very heavy. So, one thing um, we encourage you know everyone to do as they're going through the True Story Project is to squid through it. And just in case, for whatever reason, maybe you've never heard that term before, squid. Um, when we say squid, you know, we're talking about a process of uh, being able to kind of look back on the scripture, understand it better, and uh, kind of. I think I think put it in our own words, and also understand uh, you know what the uh, scripture is saying to us, right? So if we were going to squid through this particular chapter, and I mean summarize questions, what was understood by the original audience, what are the implications for us uh, today, and also how do we respond? Um, how would you kind of I guess squid through that, or just give like a brief squid? What would your squid look like? Yeah, you know what would be a good idea? What yeah. if we read it? Mm. You want to read it? Like yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah, let's dig right into the text here. So, Daniel 7 reads, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea, four great beasts, each different from the others came out of the sea. The first was like a lion and it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and a mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird, 
This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my, vi in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had 10 horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The horn had eyes, like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming like fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Yeah, so I think that, you know, we can stop right there. And I think, uh, you know, it's just, just kind of reading through this. I guess it can, it can definitely be confusing. You know, mm -hmm. it's a lot of imagery there that... Uh, uh, I think we have to know the historical perspective to place it or to, to, to correctly like understand what Daniel is talking about. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the questions you always want to ask, and we always emphasize, where in the story is this yeah. at? We talked about that. Right. The next question you want to ask is, what kind of literature is this? Right. Because so huge. Yeah, so the, important. The Bible is the word of God. Right. But it is both a divine and a human book. Right. It's divine in the sense that it's it has the final authority over our lives. Mm -hmm. It's from God. It's human in the sense that God used people to write it in a specific time and place, but also using specific types of literature. And you have to read it according to that type of literature. And now, I'm not just making up a rule just for the Bible. We do that with everyday life. Right. You know, you don't right. read poetry the same way you read a newspaper. Yeah. The same way you read tweets. Right. You know, right. <laughs> it's, right. it's all different types of literature. Yeah. You read it different for ways. Sure. And Daniel has a mix of what's called like narrative and apocalyptic literature. Mm. And narrative is like reading a story. It just has plots and events and characters and things that are going on. Um, and then apocalyptic is like crisis literature. Mm. And so what it does, it takes heavy uh, use of symbolic language to convey a specific message to particular groups of people caught up in dire situations. I know like back in the day when I was in high school, I had a pager. Mm. And oh so, man, yes. 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 You're dating yourself a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I, yeah, I, I remember those days, man. <laughs> and every now and then I would get a, I would get a page. Yeah. And I would look down, and it would have my friend's phone number, and then it would have nine one one at the end. You know, that's an so, emergency situation. It's an emergency. <laughs> it was. It's a symbol. You know, it's a yeah. symbol. It's it's a yeah. it's a number. It's a symbol, but it was conveying a specific message to somebody caught in a dire situation. Right. Like, right, I need to talk to you right now. Right, right. You know, right. so it's kind of like okay, that's what apoc apocalyptic literature does: is it uses symbols and images to try to talk to people who are in crisis situations. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And uh, I guess, we, you know, we do have a very young church. So for those who don't know what a pager is, <laughs> you know, I think I'll, I'll just describe it very briefly. You know, it was a device, you know, that people would call and you would get a notification or just a text notification that would say, hey, you know, call me. And you would get to your nearest landline and call them back. So uh, just a little tech history for you. But yeah, I think, you know, uh, I think one thing I've just learned, uh, you know, as uh, as I've gone through the True Story Project and you know had the opportunity to sit through good stewards of uh, uh, the, uh, scripture, is just how important it is to understand uh, the literary devices used in the particular chapter or book or whatever it may be. Um, that way, we can understand what that chapter or passage is trying to do, and not take it out of context and make it do something that it's not meant to do. And I think that is the perfect segue into the next question I have for you AC. So sometimes you know when we read scripture like this one, you know we have the tendency to try to use these passages to plot out future events in detail. But uh, you know what is what was the original author trying to do with this passage? Uh, what was the goal of this yeah. passage? Yeah, like you said, the goal wasn't to give a calendar. It wasn't right. so that these people could sit down and take all these images and all these numbers and all these times and dates and plot exactly when the end would come, right? Uh, which is a way that a lot of people use it today. Um, I had a, a roommate in college, man, who one time, middle of the night, literally, came into my room with a CD and was like, you have to watch this. You gotta watch this, like, it doesn't, you can't wait. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I'm watching, I put it on my laptop and I'm watching this CD mm. of some dude and he's basically, long story short, was making a case for why the world was gonna end in like 2017. Oh my goodness. And well, it was yeah. it was like crazy man, yeah. Bible ping pong, man. Yeah. I mean, all kinds of elaborate verses right, and everything. Right, right, right. You read and, them backwards and yeah. you look for the third letter <laughs> yes. in this line. You gotta yeah. read it on oh, the yeah. blue light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was crazy. Oh, man. I, I sat through yeah. this whole thing and I, and I told my, my roommate like, I look man, like this dude made one little mistake in the way he was understanding something right. and it messed up everything he was right, trying to say. Right, right, right. But even more to the point, that's not even what Daniel's trying to do. Right, right. What the author's trying to do is to encourage and exhort suffering people who are questioning and doubting God. And he's trying to encourage them of a future hope so that in the present they can be faithful to their calling. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's that's really awesome. And yeah, I think we've all kind of, or we've, we've at least heard or been, at least in my case, I think there, there was a time where I did read that passage this way, you know, and we as a, a 21st uh, century people living in America have the tendency to read scripture sometimes and uh, you know think that it's talking about us, man. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, and there's a part that's cool. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a, yeah. there's an inquisitive part of our culture where we have like all these books that explore details right. and all kinds of subjects. It even goes into like conspiracy theories and you know all that right, stuff. Right. And it's like we try to take that really inquisitive detail-oriented mindset and apply it to the Bible and try to make it answer questions it was never meant to answer. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is talking about us, but not in the way that uh, sometimes it's framed or, or put, right? right. So, um, you know, when we look at, you know, as we've kind of gone through Old Testament scripture, we know that uh, the story is pointing towards Jesus, right? So how did Daniel 7 shape uh, first century Jewish expectations of a coming kingdom? And how did Jesus fulfill and challenge some of those expectations? Yeah, so like when you read Daniel 7 and when Daniel heard it, 
he was afraid, as I would be too, listening yeah, to you describe to those like, iron teeth. Right. What is man, that? Yeah. Man? You know, like, and yeah. the other ones, they, it was like a bear, it was like a leopard, but the fourth one, he couldn't even think of an animal to describe it. It was just yeah. a terrifying creature, you know? Right, right. Um, and most scholars agree, and even according to the interpretation given by the angel in the latter part of the chapter, is that this is talking about four different historical kingdoms. Right. You know, you've right. got the Babylonian, and there's there's a, de there's a debate, we won't yeah. get into all of it, but like... Suffice to say, most scholars will agree. Yeah, it's talking about the Babylonian Empire, right? The Medo-Persian Empire, right. The Greek Empire, and then, and the, then the Roman Empire. Yeah, correct. You know, and so the Jewish people in the time of Jesus would have looked back at Daniel and say, "Okay, here's Rome. So after this, the kingdom of God is going to come in all of its fullness. The world is go like Judgment Day is going to arrive. Right. The world's going to be judged. God is going to rule over all of creation." And we're going to be at the center of it, and the Gentiles are going to be either like out or put down. Right. You know that's what they were thinking and expecting. And Jesus came and he flipped a lot of that. He said he came and said the kingdom of God is here. You know, so Daniel was right. Like after the Roman Empire, the kingdom of God yeah. was coming. And Jesus says that, and they're like, where? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like the Jewish people. Yeah. They're, one of their biggest criticisms of Christianity is saying like, okay, you say Jesus brought the kingdom. But I still see blind people. Right. I still see poverty and disease and famine. Right. What kind of kingdom is that? Right. You know, and and, and, and what king dies a shameful death on a yeah. cross? You know, on such a ugly, uh, you know, terrible, not un unroyal or unking like way fashion of, of dying, right? Or, right. Or conquering. Yeah, he's yeah. supposed to conquer. How did that yeah, he how got was the cross conquering? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, and and you think about how um the Jewish people were looking for a kingdom that would divide history into two sections, the present age and the age to come. Mm. And the age to come would come in its fullness. And Jesus came, and even John the Baptist, who at one point in time says, Behold the Lamb of God. Right. And he's certain of his calling and of Jesus' calling, who Jesus is. But then rude. he's locked yeah. up. Yeah. Then he gets locked up. Yeah. He sends messengers to Jesus and says, are you, are you the coming one? Are we looking for another? Like, hey, man, all right, look, yeah. when I was free on yeah. the outside, all right, yeah, Jesus the Messiah right, is right, about right, to start right, popping. Right, right. I'm locked up. Like, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> like, John's what's like, going on? Yeah, he's like, what? wait a minute. Like, Kingdom is yeah. supposed to let free the captives. I'm in jail, Jesus. What's going I'm on? I'm captive right now. Yes. <laughs> I could use some liberation, you know? And, uh, and what yeah. does Jesus say? He says, go back and tell John that the dead are raised, the blind see, the lame walk, right. and the good news is preached to the poor. And so what Jesus did is he reshapes completely the expectation of the kingdom. And instead of coming all at once, the kingdom actually is already but not yet. So it broke into human history in the time of Jesus, but it hasn't come in its fullness. Mm. You know, and I know like, you know, our professor, Mike Goheen, uses the, the illustration all the time where, you know, he comes home. His wife's been cooking a meal, and he asks, hey, is supper ready yet? And she's like, no, it's not. Don't touch the pot. But he goes in there when she's not shame, looking. Shame, yes. shame on you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> when she's not looking. He dips his, <laughs> dips his finger in there and tastes it. And he's oh, this is really yeah. good. And if you were to catch him red-handed, right. I wouldn't snitch. But if I yeah. caught him, you catch yeah. him red-handed, and ask him, have you had supper yet? Well, well, yeah. But no, not really. Right. Not fully. Right. I have. I've got a taste. So I've had it in a sense. It's here, but not fully. Right. Right. You know, that's what Jesus is, comes and he, he he sort of 
flips the expectation that the people would have had based on Daniel 7. Because just reading Daniel 7 and just the people who received at the time, they would have seen, okay, the kingdom is coming, but they didn't understand how it was coming. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, we see, we live in that tension now, you know, we, we look around and you read the news or you just step outside and you see the brokenness, you know, all around us and, um, and you know, we, we deal with the pressures of life and sometimes we ask that question, like, you know, like, now, like, you know, I have this hope, but sometimes it's, it's hard to see it, you know, mm -hmm. when you're faced with the, you know, the everyday pangs of, uh, you know, the pain of life, so, um, you know, but our hope is the, what is coming and, you know, we, the, in the church too, we see that foretaste you know mm -hmm. so um you know as we talked about you know the squid method and implications um i know you before we kind of stepped on this podcast we were talking about uh you know the implications from daniel 7 and how we can connect that to like all of life so can you talk a little bit more about that yeah so like when you look at daniel's vision mm. and his vision it says that all authority is given to the one like the son of man and jesus later on takes that title upon himself yeah when some when they question him hey man who gave you the authority to forgive sin and he said the son of man has authority to forgive sin right and then even when jo jesus rose from the dead he ha he gathers the disciples at the end of uh of matthew he says all authority has been given to me right you know so it's right. echoing right. daniel when jesus says that like any jewish person who knew his bible would have been like son of man all authority has been yeah. given. oh okay we're talking daniel 7. wow you know, and Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And as we see in Daniel 7, everything is given to him for an everlasting dominion. In right. other words, Jesus is Lord over all. You know, Abraham Kuyper has that quote, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. Yeah. Not one square yeah. inch. And we try to do that. We try to... Um, instill that mindset in everybody at redemption you know we you hear it all the time at church all the life is all for jesus and that's what that means right you know? and we even try to show that like the kingdom isn't just church the kingdom like god's ownership is over all creation and so we'll do things like all of life interviews to show that even our jobs and our work yep. is under the lordship of christ you know you you just did a all yeah. of life interview yeah i mean and you know i really appreciate that because you know, I think before attending Redemption, um, I saw my vocation, my work, as just a means to an end. Mm. You know, like we had, I think in our culture, we have the tendency to compartmentalize, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, our faith goes in one place, our work goes in one place, uh, the way we raise our, uh, or, or live our, with our families goes one place. So, you know, that All of Life interview, um, prior to that, I've had the opportunity to read uh, Amy Sherman's Kingdom Calling, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, plug. Yeah, yeah, plug, plug. You know, great book, and it really helps you think of the ways that you know your faith must play a part in uh, you know the way you do your vocation. So for me, you know, I, I spoke about uh, I work for uh, uh, in the transportation logistics industry, and you know, just the way that we treat uh, or I treat my uh, drivers, employees the way that uh, you know we care about getting a job well done because it provides it, it reflects God's providential character the way that every aspect of my work you know I'm constantly uh, uh, examining and and evaluating you know how am I being a, a foretaste of the kingdom in this particular area mm -hmm. so um, you know I think it's 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 really those all life interviews are really a helpful way for us to really uh, uh, 
live that all of life is all for Jesus, which we start every podcast with, and it really is the uh, the song and cry of our church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of our communities, so. absolutely, and it's so needed, man, because yeah. it's so easy to to fail to realize that this particular domain of life is not in the Lordship of Christ. Right. I know back in the day, I used to play basketball, and there was this dude at my old church named Terry. Love him to death, man. Mm -hmm. And this dude, like, you ask him a, a verse, he knew it. Right. Like, he could he could tell you any verse in the Bible, man. Probably not, but, like, close. Yeah, yeah. Close. Yeah. And he loved basketball, man. And I remember he'd always say, like, all right. And he'd tell people, like, if you brought people from church to mm -hmm. play basketball, he'd warn them up front and give them a disclaimer, like, all right, I'm going to save some things on the court. But like, <laughs> oh yeah, I know those guys. Uh -huh. and, and very argumentative. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to be like, "That was a foul." No, it wasn't. Right. And then, all right, let's shoot for it. No, no, like he's the type of the dude. With I don't want to throw him under the bus, but yeah. man, like he would argue really yeah. bad and get under people's skin. Uh -huh. And you think like, all right, Terry, is all of life all for Jesus, right, or right, like right. Jesus has no domain over the basketball? Right. Court? Exactly. Like. It's like, Jesus, all right, you wait outside. Let me do my thing in here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know those guys. The guys, you know, you play and you're like, whoa, should we, are like, are we going to have to take it outside? <laughs> yeah, so are, are, we, are we playing for a ring? Because, uh, <laughs> like, are you getting paid? I'm not getting paid. <laughs> yeah. that, I love that. that. That's really a great illustration there. And, uh, but we yeah. all do it. You yeah, know, we I all throw do him it. under we the bus, but, like, we, we all, all do it, it yeah. man. You yeah. know, yeah. I get Definitely. on on Twitter, like, Definitely. you know, is this under the Lordship of Christ? Right, right. Or am I about right. to go off on somebody? Exactly. Yeah, I think social media is a huge one because you know just the way that we treat especially i know ricardo mentioned this one the way that we treat people maybe who are out there maybe celebrities and sometimes or maybe just politicians we disagree with and the uh the the way that we kind of uh treat them like they're not image bearers right you know because you know they're they're out there but those are image bearers too so like even the way that we act on social media uh our faith needs to inform that yeah. And, yeah, and I wonder what that would look like. Right. You know, because you see the distorted use yeah. of like Instagram, Snapchat. Mm -hmm. You know, you see the people where it's like it's all about them. Right. And right. they're just kind of boasting of themselves, or they're desperately seeking the approval of yeah. others. Oh yeah. You know, oh, yeah. and it's like, all right, if I don't have that mentality, how would I use social media? Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have like an easy answer for that, but it's a good question we should be asking ourselves. Man, I wish we had Jim Mullins on this yes. to help us reimagine uh, social media. I'm sure you would have a full, and uh, he's probably <laughs> already thought through all of this, but uh, maybe we'll have that for you on a, a later podcast. But just kind of wrapping up Daniel 7 here, um, you know, this is, we're, def we're definitely handling one of the most controversial passages in the Bible. And, uh, you know, people's response has been anywhere from apathy to fear and frenzy and, you know, every little political thing that happens, we're like, oh, well, this is, you know, this is exactly what Daniel is talking about and the right. end is near. So uh, just kind of wrapping up, like, how do you sense the spirit would uh, have the community of redemption respond to a text like this? I mean, I would think, I mean, it's something you, know, you want to pray through. How is the spirit leading you to respond? But mm. as I prayed through this, I started thinking, don't be that guy. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't want to say any names, but I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> there's you know you, you know that you guy. know that guy you know that guy that guy who has all the left behind books right and right. has every single oh, book wait, on wait, Revelation. Wait, wait, hold on, AC, AC. We grew up on left behind. You grew up on left behind. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember I remember sitting under uh, a sermon that said, "Man, you'll be on the plane, yes. and then all of a sudden the pilot will be gone." Hey. <laughs> Get right or get left. 
Man, I'm sorry. I'm, you, off, man. you know, no, no, it's good. And I'm not saying one yeah. thing one way or another on right. behind. That's right. a different conversation right. every right. day. All together. But yeah. what I am saying is don't be that guy who's so obsessed with the future that you're trying to like plot out every detail right. and you're giving no attention to today. But also, on the other hand, there are people who look at all that and they're like, nah, I don't care about prophecies right, and right. none of that. Like, you know, I'm just worried about what's in front of me right now. Don't be that guy either. Right, right. You know, yeah, that, that's important. That's good, yeah. Have, have a, a view of down the road and what's in front of you. Like when you drive, a good driver is going to look and see what is down the road. Right. But they're not going to be exclusively focused down the road. Otherwise, they'll hit somebody in front of exactly. them. Exactly. You know, but exactly. a good driver, and also will look in the rear view for perspective, make right, sure right, they're at. Right, right, So, you know, you want to have that view of history, of what God has done. But specifically with prophecy like this, you want to have the view that the kingdom is coming in its fullness. It's already come in part. It's coming in full. And one day, all of creation is going to be renewed. And so that has tremendous significance for how I live my life now. Yeah. You know, it, it, it gives yeah. significance. I was reading a book at Barnes & Noble the other day. It was kind of a cool book. Mm -hmm. The whole thing, it was written by, co-written by a Christian and an atheist. Okay. And they were kind of debating. But what, they're father and son also. So oh, they wow. have that dynamic. So like, dynamic. Yeah, yeah, family. Yeah. So yeah. they keep it civil and try to uh, model that. But one thing that was interesting, and one of the chapters written by the atheist, and he talks about... Um, finding significance mm. and he talks about how yeah life is random and we're here by accident and there's no future like kingdom or restoration he didn't believe in that as an atheist and so he's saying but you can make the most out of your time now like there's no ultimate meaning mm. but you can bring your own meaning into now and i think that that just doesn't satisfy right, and that's why people right. man are are, are, are aimless People yeah. are searching. Yeah. People are depressed. Oh, yeah. People are anxious. Yeah. You know about their future and about where are we headed and where are we going. Right. And we can have complete confidence of where we're going, and that confidence and that hope can give me all the motivation and significance mm. I need now to be effective in seeking first the kingdom in the here and now and all of life. Yeah. AC man, good illustrations, good great points as usual, and I think it's just an encouragement to all of us that you know. We definitely want to be salt and light like we're called to now, but we have hope in uh, the eternal reign of Christ. So um, I just thank you for listening and uh, kind of work.